listening to the You Flourish Church Podcast, a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, dedicated to helping you flourish in your faith. For more information about our mission and how you can get involved, please visit www.youflourishchurch.org. It's good to be uh, together with you. My name is Pastor Ronaldo. I serve uh, as one of the pastors here. It's It's just an honor it's a privilege to open up the Word of God <clears throat> together with you. Would you would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Then we'll we'll jump in uh, into our time together uh, in the Word of God. We're in Acts twenty five today, by the way. If you want to make your way there, but 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 join me in prayer, Lord God. <clears throat> God, you are the God of the impossible, Lord, and 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 that which is beyond our understanding, Lord, that which is beyond our wildest dreams is, is, is simple for you. God, only you know precisely and exactly every wound and every difficulty and every trial. God, you are the king of the universe, Lord. You are omniscient and all-knowing, Lord. And I, and I want to I lift up each person here, Lord, and I want to place them precisely and exactly in your almighty hands. God, and I ask that you would do in their life, Lord, beyond what they could dream, beyond what they could imagine, beyond what they would even know to ask you, Lord, we surrender this time into your magnificent, beautiful, glorious hands in your holy, transforming, beautiful name, I pray, Jesus. Amen. Imagine with me that you are standing on the bank of a river. You are standing there on the bank of a river and the river is rushing by you wildly. It is rushing by you ferociously. The, the, the water is slapping and it, it's slashing and it's crashing and it's, and it's thrashing and it's all over the place and it's, it is hitting the rocks. It, 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 it resembles, it's like the liquid equivalent of a buffalo stampede. And next to you is a young child. And in that child's hand is their precious, treasured toy boat. And they look up to you, they look up at you, and they, they, they want to place this toy boat in that river. They want to take their precious and treasured toy boat and they want to place it in that rushing, wild, untamed and untamable river. Well, you do your best. You do your very best to explain to them that once the very moment that they place that boat in that river, they lose all control. There's no going back. Once you touch, once that little river, excuse me, once that little boat touches that river, you do not get to change your mind. 
The second the boat hits, you lose the ability to control it and the river will do whatever it wants. Can you picture that? All right, if you can picture that, it's actually not a river. It's the city of Jerusalem. And it's not a young child. It's Paul, the apostle from Tarsus, whose life was transformed when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it's not a toy boat. It's his very life. He had been warned. He had, he is talking uh, 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 with the church. He is talking with people in Ephesus and he wants to go to Jerusalem and he feels led to go to Jerusalem and a prophet pulls him aside and, and binds his own hands and binds his own feet and say, if you walk into Jerusalem, this is how you walk out. And Paul had counted the cost Paul had counted the cost. He knows that the moment he steps into Jerusalem, he will lose all control over his own life. And that is precisely and exactly what happened. When Paul sets foot in the temple in Jerusalem, the entire city erupts. He is grabbed and he is dragged. Murder is attempted on his life. Violence erupts around him. He's arrested. There's yelling. He gets Punched in the face, he is arrested, unjustly lied about. He is imprisoned and accused. There's a plot to kill him, to end his life, and he is left in prison. And that's where we pick up in our story. Will you read with me in Acts chapter 25, verse 13? Now, when days had passed, excuse me, now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king in Bernice, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. Let me kind of introduce you to some of the people there. Felix had been the governor over the area, and he is the one that arrested Paul. He is the one that took Paul into custody when the city would, had, had erupted, and they're about to end his life. They're about to, to pull his limbs apart. And Felix grabs Paul and puts him in custody. Now Felix leaves him in prison for over two years while he tries to figure out what to do. And his time runs out and he is replaced by Portius Festus. So Festus is now in charge. But it's only been about two or three, perhaps four weeks at the most since Festus has taken over and he is trying to figure out what do I do with this man? What do I do with this man who has been left imprisoned? Well, all of a sudden, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrive at Caesarea and, and they're going to rendezvous with Festus. So they get there and you're probably thinking to yourself as you read that, 
Agrippa, who's the king, and Bernice, you probably think of that as his wife, but you would think incorrectly. Bernice was actually his sister. Let me introduce you to Agrippa. Agrippa was the great-grandson of Herod the Great. If you want to think about the DNA and what runs in his family, this is the same Herod the Great that at one point heard that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem and the Magi were going out to see him. And he says to the Magi, listen, when you find out exactly where he is, why don't you come back and tell me? And they're like, no problem. Well, they are warned in a dream not to go back and tell them, so they get out. And Herod the Great got fooled, but he was so upset with that. He was so upset that he didn't know where the one who had been born king of the Jews was that he said, I'll just kill everybody. We'll take everybody under uh, age two and we will infanticide. We will get rid of them all. That's whose DNA is flowing through Agrippa the king. Now Bernice is his sister. And, 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 and a few of her husbands had passed away. And the rumor, the Hollywood gossip about between Agrippa and Bernice is that there was actually something more going on there. Some of y'all just said, ill, that's incest. Correct. <laughs> I am not correcting that. I am not Saying, I'm just telling you what I, I'm just a reporter. So they show up and, and, and Paul is sitting there in prison and Festus is like, I don't know what to do with this dude. So we pick up. Verse 16, I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans, Acts 25, 16 tells us. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charges in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. And they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting, he ought not live any longer. 
but I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I've brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write, for it seems to be unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. He just said, I found nothing deserving of death. And yet the loud cry is that he ought to live no longer. I want to I wanna set up shop just a few minutes and, 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 and look at some words with you coming out of the mouth of Portius Festus, who does not know what to do with this imprisoned man. His words are these. Verse 18, when the accuser stood up, they brought no charges in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Here's what he says. Listen, I, 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 I was expect they want this man's life to come to an end. They want to kill this man. So I was expecting some serious criminality, but all of the things that I expected, none of them came. Rather, they got some like within the walls of their own religion, they've got some disagreements and, and, and there's this dead guy named Jesus. But Paul contends that he is alive. Now think about that. One man in one side is like, I don't know why they can't agree on small matters. And on the other side, they're saying, end this man's life because of this. A certain dead man named Jesus whom Paul contends, whom Paul asserts is alive. I want to talk to you about death a little bit. You know, you know what irritates me about death? I mean, let, let's make it personal, right? This is not like a, like a foreign somewhere out there irritation. Like I'm mad at you for this. You have just made peace with death. Like it's just normal. Like it's to be accepted. Like it's a right and normal part of existence. I remember reading one of my heroes, one of my theological heroes, and he explained, Expresses that death is just a normal part of life. And I go, I disagree. What is it? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what, what even is it? 
You're like, dude, that's one of your like philosophy questions that people in ivory towers want to comprehend. And I'm thinking, no, not really. I remember a coach that had been coaching for a long time. And, 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 and they asked him, and they asked him the question, coach, how long are you going to keep coaching? Nobody lives forever. And he said, you only say that because no one's done it yet. And then he died. Right? Hilarious words by a guy who eventually met his death. But, but what even is death? Right, Genesis 2, Genesis 2, God creates all the world and the whole thing is perfect. There's only life. And he says, if you, if you betray me, if you disobey me, you shall surely die. And what does Adam do? Adam takes the fruit and he rebels against it. He bites into it. He rebels against the words of the author of life. He detaches himself from the author of life. He cuts himself off by his own treason and rebellion from the author of life. But what happens? He doesn't drop dead. He doesn't drop physically dead. What happens? He's ashamed. Shame rushes into his life. He begins to cover himself all up. Then Ephesians would come to tell us that you are dead. You're born dead in your transgressions and your sins, right? Sin and death are attached. Paul would philosophize. Listen, sin came into the world and death came along with it. Sin came into the world and brought death along with it. Death is this unnatural part of existence. It is not a part of life. It is the enemy of life. They refuse to play well together. They refuse to hold hands. They refuse to be friends. If one is present, the other one leaves. Now, here's the hard part for you and for me. Death always wins. Death is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, and it always wins. It always wins. Some people cheat death. Some people prolong life. Some people are doing everything in their power to find or be or live in the fountain of youth, but it always comes. It always comes. It is the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. It always wins. It never loses, ever, unless you begin to read the Bible. You see, death's got this reign. It's got this sovereign, uncontested reign. And then you begin to read the Bible, and there's this guy named Enoch. And you're reading about the Bible. You are reading genealogies, and it's saying, hey, this guy was born, and, 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 and he had a son, and he died. And then his son had a son, and he died. And then his son had a son, and he died. And his son had a son, and he died. And, and, and then there was a guy named Jared. Jared had a son and named him Enoch, and Jared died. And then I came to Enoch. And the Bible says this, Enoch walked faithfully with God. And then he was no more because God took him. Listen, there's a little crack 
It's small. I get that. It's tiny. I get that. It's a crumb. I get that. It's a pebble in the midst of the Grand Canyon. I get that. But it's a crack. Right? There's one example of death not winning. When Enoch came, death somehow missed him. And then there's this guy named Elijah. Beautiful, fantastic, wonderful story. Right, but Elijah is walking with his disciple Elisha one day. And like, you gotta read this, because it's incredible. They're just strolling. Now, all of a sudden, a horse shows up. Now, this is the coolest horse there has ever been, right? The horse is made of fire, right? A horse made of fire shows up. And then like chariots that are made of fire shows up. And then a whirlwind, like that's like a small hurricane shows up and just takes up Elijah. And he doesn't die. And you go, there's a second pebble. I get it. The Grand Canyon is vast. And the reign of death is overwhelming. But there's a little crack. And then came this one man named Jesus. Now, before I speak on that, let me give you the words of a 21st century creative writer. There's a guy who is trying to figure out who Jesus is. His name is Reza Aslan. He's a creative writing professor out in California. And he posits, he contends that who Jesus was, was a zealot, a political activist that was strong behind his mission. And he applauds Jesus for his political activism, specifically to take on the Roman Empire. And I'm listening to his interview talking about his book, and finally comes this, 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 this thing that he says. Here's how he concludes how the life of Jesus went. This, this political zealot, this activist, he says, Jesus took on the Roman Empire, and then he says these words. Now, of course, he lost. And I'm sitting there thinking, those are very cute words from a dude 2,000 years later sitting in California. What did the eyewitnesses have to say? What about the ones that were actually there? Because if I want to know what historically took place at one point at one time, I don't go to a 21st century creative writing professor in California. I want to talk to the ones that were there. And we have eyewitness testimony from the ones who were there. Right, A 21st century creative writing professor says he took on Rome and lost. Now we have hundreds, hundreds of first century eyewitnesses that contend that he took on death and won. Jesus went up against death and won. Enoch merely got taken up. Elijah merely got taken up, not Jesus. 
Jesus was brutally crucified, killed, buried. And then three days later, early one Sunday morning, he came back to life. Now, I want you to think about that. He went up against death and won. Now, I want you to think about that. Death really had no chance. Jesus was not, you and I are merely alive. Jesus himself is life. And the one who is life goes up against death and wins. Now, Paul is being falsely accused and there are murder attempts on his life because of this contention that the one who went up against death actually won. Now, I want you to understand resurrection. I want you to understand what is meant by resurrection because some of us think it means like whatever happens after you die. We're kind of all blind to it, but we tend to think of resurrection as whatever happens after that. But I want you to go back. I want you to get your definition of resurrection from Jesus, not from a figment of your imagination, right? What happens on the other side is that his body, like his actual physical body comes back up from the grave, Right, he's not a hologram, right? He's not a white dude with like a white cape, like with a small harp and a halo floating, and you can and and, and, and immaterially, like his body. He's not Casper, the friendly ghost. His bot, like his actual bot, his humanity came back up. He defeated death. Now. Think about that. Was his body different? Yes. Was it a body? Yes. He went up against death and he won. He conquered death. I think about that with me for a second. He, that means death lost. That means death got conquered. That means that death itself died. That means that the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, death, who always wins, just lost. That means there's a new king in town. That means there's somebody bigger in town. That means, that means, that, that means some big stuff. It meant so big. I understand, I understand, I understand from certain points of view, somebody's saying they just have some disputes about their religion. Other people want to end his life because of this. But Jesus went up against death and won. And I want to begin to show you how that transforms all of the entirety of your existence. Paul himself would tell us all about that. 
He, there's this beautiful, long reflection, and, 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 and it is worthy of your unhurried contemplation. And it's in a, a letter called the, the Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul begins by saying he, he wants to share the gospel with you. We'll pick up in verse 3. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So here's what Paul is saying. This is the gospel. This is the truth and the goodness of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. His death was intended to remove our sins. And this was always what scripture said. And, 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 and after he was buried on the third day, as scripture foretold, he came back to life. He was raised from the dead. And do you know how you validate that? You appear to people. So he begins to list all of the different people at all of the different times that Jesus appeared to, to verify his death. Now that's of tremendous importance. That will transform your life. Verse 17 will tell us a little bit more about that. Now, here's the importance of the resurrection. Jesus died for your sins. Well, how do you know it worked? How do you know it worked? How do you know God accepted the sacrifice? How do you know that I'm right about the resurrection, but Reza Aslan is wrong. How do we know the witnesses are right? How do we know this actually counted? Because he was seen again and again and again and again. His body was seen again. So the world saw some guy who died. But Jesus said, that is the sacrifice I accepted. And I will show you that I have accepted it by his resurrection. Sins committed no longer count. Why? Because I have accepted the sacrifice. And verse 17 tells us this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Here is the joy of the resurrection. Your sins have been removed from you. Your sins are gone. All of that wickedness, all of the injustice, all of the malice, all of the wrongness, all of the ways in which you have hurt others and hurt yourself and accused God of all kinds of evil, all of your sins, what do you do with that? How do you climb out of that? How do you do that? You can't. 
But Christ died for you. He died in your place and his resurrection, his resurrection is the validation that your sins truly have been removed. And now you can once again have a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe because of the resurrection. Now, verse 30, keep going. Verse 30. I love this. Here's how Paul thinks. Here's how Paul thinks. Because of the resurrection, verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Here's what the resurrection means. If there is no resurrection, Paul is saying, then trying to do right or trying to overcome wrong, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you're just gonna die. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when there's an other side, all of a sudden, when, when, when you can actually climb over the wall of death and there's something on the other side, then how you live your life matters. Think about this with me. Because of Christ, you can now take some risks. You can now live a different life because of the resurrection, because of the, he conquered death. He went up against death and won. What can't he do? What is it that Jesus is incapable of doing? What is it that he does not have the capacity to pull off? He went up against death and won. What is the trial that is happening in your life that he can't overcome? What is the difficulty in your soul that he is not trusty to have in his hands? What can't he do? I had a professor in seminary who was diagnosed with what was called by, 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 by uh, uh, somebody, somebody referred to it as the, the worst pain that the medical profession knows. And at one point he said to himself, he said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid to live. How did he overcome that? It's the presence of Jesus. How did he overcome that? It's the resurrection, right? How did he overcome that? Jesus went up against death and won. You think he can't handle this? You think this is too difficult for him? You think this is impossible for him? You think he can't pull this one off? What can't he do? Verse 54 of the same passage tells us this. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Here's what I want you to see. Paul is taunting death. 
Paul is mocking death. Paul is saying, listen, you don't win. You don't win. Paul just went up against the biggest bully the world has ever seen. And he is mocking that based on what? Based on the resurrection. Now, here's what that means. Here's what that means. Here's what that means. It means you can't hide. It means death. Death cannot hide you. I remember being a younger man and being really mad at this. I, I, I don't even know if this is exactly how history played itself out. But I was, I, was, I was learning about the Holocaust and I was learning what had happened in Nazi Germany and I was hunt, uh, learning about uh, at least six million that had been murdered by this one man. And when they came for him, he committed suicide. I was like, you're not gonna stick around and answer for this? You're not gonna stick around? You're just gonna hide from your punishment? Here's what the resurrection means. Jesus is saying, dude, you're coming back up. You will come back up and this will be answered for. There are answers that have not been answered and I will bring you back up to answer for these injustices. Now, that's not only true of this one man. That is true universally. Think about how that changes your understanding of what is just versus what is unjust. You cannot hide. You cannot hide. That is why you need to be in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Think about that. You need his mercy, but please know that the king of justice who sits on a righteous throne, his justice will be perfectly enacted. I want to close with these words. Verse 58 tells us, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. We have a resurrected king, and he is worthy of your allegiance. We have a resurrected king and he is worthy of your fidelity. We have a resurrected king who is worthy of your followership. He took on death and he won. You don't think you can entrust your life in his hands? You don't think he has the wisdom to navigate you through the life's most difficult difficulties? You think there are certain relationships he's not able to overcome? You think there are certain sins in your life that he feels helpless against? He went up against death and won. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Would you pray with me? Glorious God, my God, my Lord, my King, Lord, you, God, became human and lived perfectly. 
and then became my sin and then died in my place and then you were buried and then you conquered, you rose, you resurrected, you conquered death and now you reign. Oh Lord, may you have our allegiance. May you have our faithfulness. May you have our followership. May we know that to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow you is our very highest good. We love you. We trust you. We entrust our lives into your hands. In your name, amen.